Hey, Remnant, welcome to a very special episode of the Remnant Podcast. My name is Wanson, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit unique. We've done a couple of these, and uh, you guys have given some good feedback, and so we're going to do another one. We're doing a book breakdown on this book right here, Wild at Heart by John Elridge. This is the uh, the vintage cover for it. Your cover might look a little bit different than this if you recently bought it, but it's a really phenomenal book, a, a bit of a Christian classic, really, on masculinity, uh, discovering the secret of a man's soul. And I'll tell you, out of all of the books uh, we've ever read at Remnant, this has been the one, without a doubt, that personally I've, I've had the most guys come up to me, tell me about, say they're reading it, how helpful it's been, how encouraging it's been uh, for them, what it's taught them, what they feel like God is speaking to them. So many uh, of you, Remnant, have told me how helpful this book has been to you. So I'm excited to just kind of break down uh, some portions of it, uh, some sections that uh, stood out to me that I've spoken to a few people about. This book is about masculinity, and it answers some fundamental questions about what it means to be a man. I want to jump right in and read a couple of questions at the very start that the author writes uh, in finding yourself and finding who it is that God has created you to be. And these are the three questions. He says this, uh, deep in a man's heart are some fundamental questions that simply cannot be answered at the kitchen table. These are things that you have to answer on the journey with God. It's who am I? Number one. Number two, what am I made of? Number three, what am I destined for? Who am I? What am I made of? And what am I destined for? Who am I is the first question. And usually when you ask somebody who they are, you you meet somebody new, you say, hey, how's it going? I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so. They'll tell you their job, right? And that's sort of who we identify, how we identify ourselves. Oh, well, I do this for a living. Or they'll tell you their status. Oh, I'm, I'm a dad or I'm a husband or whatever. But, but those, those aren't the fundamental things of who we are. We are not our status. We are not our, our jobs. Who we are at our core in our faith is children of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 5, the Bible says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so God has given us an identity as men. We are sons of God. And when we can form our identities out of that first, well, well, then everything else flows from it. You know, what I do at work flows from my identity in Christ. Who I am at home flows from my identity in Christ as a son of God. This is a question and an answer that all men have to discover on their own. You've got to see yourself as a son of God and know God as your father. I mean, you look at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our father in heaven. Do you see God as a father? This is the starting. This is the building block uh, of the beginning of your faith and your walk with God is to see yourself as a child of God and to see God as your father. I can't tell you how many men I talk to who just have had pretty poor experiences with their dad. I mean, and maybe they didn't even know them. Many guys don't even know who their father was. But when you get saved, when you give your life to Jesus, God becomes your father. He's your heavenly father. And not only will he fill in the gaps that your earthly father may have missed because men are imperfect, but more than that, he'll fill you and give you his identity. The Bible tells us we are made in the image of God. And so God, as a father, formed us in his image. But then while we're on earth, he calls us sons of God. And he's a good father. And he will fill in those gaps. And he will help you to experience sonship. So that's the first question that he points to. And it's, it's, it's who am I? It's a question of your identity. Do you know who your identity is? But then the second one he asks is, what am I made of? What are you made of? What's in you? Like like at your core, what's on the inside? What's in your bones? What are you made up of? You know, God has designed men and destined men for greatness. 
God's put greatness in you. God has put gifts in you. The way you find purity of gold is through testing. And in the same way, you will discover what you're made of through the testings and trials of life. You know, this is why I really believe that men need challenge. If there's no challenge in your life, without challenge, men will crumble because the thing that they're made of isn't being tested. And so you will not develop, you will not gain more strength if there is no testing in your life. And so God's got to pull that out of you. Strength has to be tested. It's tested through life. It's tested through experiences. It's tested through serving. It's tested through sacrifice. That's why in the Bible, uh, it says in the book of James, count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all a joy. When you face the test, when you meet a trial, know that God is strengthening you and God is testing what you're made of and he's He's bringing a, a new strength and foundation to the very core of who it is that you are. So do you know what you're made of? Do you know what's inside of you? Has God taken you through some things in life? Have you experienced trials? Have you experienced difficulties? If you have, then we're beginning to see what we're made of. We're beginning to see what God has placed in us. That's the second question he has. Number one, who am I? Number two, what am I made of? Number three is what am I destined for? Again, these are three fundamental questions for men. Number three, what am I destined for? God has a plan, a destiny, and a purpose for all men. Now, here's the key. Yours is different than everybody else's. So there's no room for comparison, right? The Bible talks about us running our race. Well, you've got to run your race. I'll run my race. You've got to run your race. I can't run your race. You can't run my race and vice versa. It just, it's, it doesn't work that way. See, we were created for our own individual purpose in Christ and we can fulfill it only in Christ. And so God has made you for greatness. God has a purpose for you. I know a lot of times guys struggle with this and feel uh, maybe a lack of purpose in life. And it feels like your life is a bit monotonous, like there's no um, greatness or, or, or calling or purpose uh, in what you do. But I just want to dispel that myth and say it is absolutely not true. God has placed greatness inside of you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1, right? Famous verse, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God speaking this through the prophet. He knew, right? He consecrated and he appointed. And I believe God does that with us. He knows us before we're born. He consecrates us and sets us apart. Consecration is a setting apart uh, for holiness. But then he appoints and there are things that God will appoint for you to do in your life. You know, God may be appointing you to be a godly man and raise a godly family. That is a rarity today with, uh, with the way culture and society is going. God may be appointing you to be a leader in your workplace and to represent Christ to those people. God may be appointing you to, to be a help to your friends and to those around you. God may be appointing you to lead your family and your cousins and your relatives and to be the light in your home. What is God appointing you to do? You know, there's the great commission that Jesus gives us before he departs from the earth. And that's every Christian's mission. That's everybody should be pursuing that to, to go out into all the world, to, to tell people about Jesus, to, to be a witness to others unto Christ, telling them the gospel. I think that's a powerful, fundamental thing as a Christian. But then also, I believe God has a custom thing for you. What is God calling you to do? Because he does have a purpose for you. The Bible says in Psalm 138, verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Now, that's the key. The Lord will fulfill it, not us. 
And I think sometimes that's the problem. We try to force calling. We try to force purpose. We try to force our thing to happen. When the Bible says, no, the Lord's the one who's going to bring it into fulfillment. The question is, can we be faithful? Can we work with what's in our hands? Can we be faithful to the Lord? Can we keep serving? Can we keep going? Can we keep being faithful to our family? Can we keep following the Lord that God would fulfill his purpose in us? Because ultimately it's on God's time. And I would even say this, that a lot of times guys can be so consumed with the future and with their purpose and and sometimes with their calling and what God has for me and what's going to happen. I think those are all good things, but let's not be so consumed with what's not yet happening that we miss what's right in front of us. Live in the present and be faithful in the present that God would bring a destiny, a powerful purpose out of your life in the future. If you feel a lack of a sense of purpose in your life, I think this is a great book to read. I think this is a great prayer to pray. Begin to ask, Lord, Lord, what is it that you'd have me do today? And every single day, be faithful with what God has placed in front of you and see if God will not fulfill his plans and his purposes with good, faithful servants, right? Like he says in the end, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what God wants. Will we be good and will we be faithful? There's another portion of the book where he talks about aggression, just jumping forward a little bit. And I want to read this excerpt to us uh, on aggression when it comes to masculinity. He says this, aggression is a part of the masculine design. We are hardwired for it. If we believe that a man is made in the image of God, then we would do well to remember that. And he quotes a verse in Exodus, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. I like this and this stood out and a lot of the guys were telling me uh, how helpful this was because it just shows you that uh, aggression in masculinity is from God. God has given us aggression as a gift. The problem is men are mastered by it. And when you're mastered by your anger, it becomes a curse and it becomes a thing that will tear you down. But if you have this aggression and you have it under control, the key is self-control, then God will use it. You know, thank God for aggression when someone's trying to break into your house and you want to protect your children. Thank God for aggression when you have to stand up for the innocent and for the, the defenseless. Thank God for aggression that he's placed that inside of men. I love this quote from Jordan Peterson. He says, a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. And so aggression is good, defensive, it's protection. And sometimes men have to rise up. Now there's three areas where men protect. Men protect physically. Now we know that one, physically men are stronger and men will protect their family, their friends, will protect in those physical situations. Have you ever seen those videos where, you know, a, a guy's trying to save somebody under a car and they get the superhuman strength and they can lift a car up? You know, God's placed that in us. God has placed that strength and that aggression in us for a reason. We have physical protection, but then even I think there's emotional protection where men are called to protect emotionally and that's to cover and that's to help. And that's to encourage and correct. And there's an emotional protection that we will bring. You know, if you raise daughters, you know what that's like. If you have a wife, you know what that's like. Where we protect their emotions, we protect their mind, we protect their feelings. And then last, but certainly not least, uh, men protect spiritually. And so that's protecting in your home. You might be protecting yourself spiritually, what you're exposing yourself to, what you will allow uh, yourself to open what doors you'll allow yourself to open. You'll protect your children spiritually. You know, you have a discernment in a sense. Is, is something going on in my home? Did something happen? Am I hearing things? You'll hear what your children say and you're thinking. You know, the key here is that uh, is there's active involvement. It's not uh, passive involvement. It's active involvement where you're actively looking. You're actively protecting. You're actively listening, you know, to your family, to your children, to your spouse, to your friends. 
Are you actively protecting those around you? We must, as men, be involved. Now, I want to jump ahead because he talks a little bit about this a little bit later on in the book about Adam. And he goes back to the garden, that very first sin that happened, you know, where Adam and Eve sinned. But he makes a really uh, unique point about what was happening in that moment. And I thought we could read it together. And my book is page 50. He says this, describing Adam during the fall of humanity. He says this, where is Adam while the serpent is tempting Eve? We were talking about active involvement. Let's keep reading. He's standing right there. The Bible says she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and then he ate it too. And the Hebrew word he says with her means right there, elbow to elbow. Adam isn't away in another part of the forest. He has no alibi. He's right there. He's standing right there watching the whole thing unravel. And what does he do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He says not a word. He doesn't lift a finger. He won't risk. He won't fight. He won't rescue Eve. Our first father, Eldridge says, the first real man gave in to paralysis. He denied his very nature and went passive. And every man after him, every son of Adam, carries in his heart now the same failure. Every man repeats the sin of Adam every day. We won't risk, we won't fight, we won't rescue Eve. We truly are chipped off the old block. You know, when you look at Adam in the garden, when you look at what he was doing in that moment, he was not actively involved. He fell. And I think this can be the sin of a lot of men today where we take a back seat, where we play the passive character, where we aren't actively involved, where we aren't using that God-given aggression, that God-given intensity that God has given to men to help, to play a lead role, to protect, to cover. Not that we're going to be angry and upset and furious. No, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about a mental strength. I'm talking about an involvement with your family, with what's happening. Men are not meant to be passive. You know, when we repeat, when we fail to be active in our homes, or just repeating the very first scene of sin that we see in the Bible, where Adam just allowed it to happen right to him at his home. No, we've got to participate. And I think our wives will help us. If you're married and you're listening to this, your wife will help you. You know, our wives have discernment if they have the Holy Spirit. And together we will lead. But the man must take the, the lead. The man must be at the forefront. The man must be discerning and thinking and active and watching and keeping a pulse on this thing. What's the pulse of your home? What's the pulse of your marriage? What's the pulse of your children? What's the pulse of the people you lead? What's the pulse in your workplace? What am I saying? I'm saying God has placed you and has purposed you with leadership. If you're a Christian, you're a leader. And that may be a part of your purpose as well because you're leading through life representing Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Now, a little bit further down in the book, Eldridge begins to talk about wounds and facing difficulty in life. And I think sometimes, you know, obviously in life, bad things happen and we go through trials and sometimes we will, we may know the answer and we may know why we face those things. Other times we may never hear an answer. We might not know why we face the things that we face, sudden loss, challenge, trial, sudden difficulty. But he lists some good questions that we can help to begin to find the right kinds of answers. You know, it's not the right thing to just always say, why God, why me, why me? When we face trials and difficulties, let's read this together um, and shed some light into facing trials in life. He says this in my book on page 105. We're asking the wrong questions. Most of us are asking, God, why did you let this happen to me? Or God, why won't you just 
And he says, fill in the blank, help me succeed, get my kids to straighten out, fix my marriage. You know what you've been whining about, he says to us. But to enter into a journey of initiation with God requires a new set of questions. Then he lists a couple questions here and he says, what are you trying to teach me here? What a great question. What issues in my heart are you trying to raise through this? What is it you want me to see? What are you asking me to let go of? What issues in my heart are you trying to raise through this? Another great question. Because sometimes God will use trials in your life to raise issues in your heart. Maybe God's trying to work unforgiveness out of you. Maybe he's trying to work control you know, out of you. Bitterness. Next question. What is it you want me to see? What is it you want me to see, God? God, what is it that you're trying to show me in this circumstance? You might be asking God, God, what is it that you want me to see in this? I just lost my job. What is it that you want me to see? Lord, I just, I just lost, I just took a big loss financially. What is it that you want me to see? Lord, I just, I'm, I'm struggling in my home, I'm struggling raising my kids. I feel like I'm not a good example. I feel like I'm failing. What is it that you want me to see? My marriage is struggling, God. What is it that you want me to see about my, my mind, about my emotions? And the last question, what are you asking me to let go of? I think sometimes we may go through things and God is trying to get us to let go of things. You know, all of a sudden things shift, like things get really tense at work and you're not sure what's going on and it's tough and it's challenging and then things get difficult. God sometimes has to force the transition out of you. I know that's happened to me. I remember uh, living at my first house. I really didn't want to move and my wife was praying and we were talking about moving and she really felt like it was time to move and I really didn't feel it. But I'm telling you, the moment that she told me over the next few months, thing after thing after thing after thing began to happen. I said, what is going on? We were getting ready to have our first kid. And I know looking back now, God was trying to get us out of that neighborhood, out of that house. And looking back now, I mean, if you drive by the same area where I lived, so much has changed. I would never want to raise my kids in that area. What was God doing? He was slowly forcing us out to move into transition. Sometimes you've got to ask that question, God, what is it that you're asking me to let go of? Sometimes things happen in life because God wants you to move on from the old and come into the new. So I'll read them again just so that you have them fresh in your mind. When you go through trials, when you go through challenge, God, what are you trying to teach me here? What issues in my heart are you trying to raise through this? What is it you want me to see? And what are you asking me to let go of? Four questions you can ask when you're in trials and difficulties. And this is the key of it, really, is to seeing life as teaching moments. God, what are you trying to teach me? Instead of asking, why God, why me, why, why, why? Can you see it as a moment where God is trying to initiate you into something? A new moment of strength, a new moment of wisdom. Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach me? We can fall prey to victimization and allowing the world and circumstances to cause us to give up and give in. But as Jesus followers, that's not what we're called to do. And I love that John Eldridge points to this, that we're going to look to hardship. We're going to look through challenge and difficulty as teachable moments and God trying to show us something and teach us something. So instead of asking why, ask some of these questions instead and begin to rise up in your circumstances. I want to move ahead to this next section where he's talking about wounds and more specifically something he calls honor wounds. Now, there's a really cool paragraph here that I'm going to read that um, I think will resonate with a lot of the guys. Uh, He says this, you will be wounded. Just because this battle is spiritual doesn't mean it's not real. It is. And the wounds a man can take are in some ways more ugly than those that come in a firefight. To lose a leg is nothing compared to losing heart. To be crippled by shrapnel need not to destroy your soul, but to be crippled by shame and guilt may. You will be wounded by the enemy. He knows the wounds of your past. 
and he will try to wound you again in the same place. The truth is a lot of men have weak areas and there are some common areas for men that are weak. You know, a lot of men struggle with fatherlessness in the past. Sexual addiction is a real issue for all men to whatever degree, whether it's pornography or adultery, whatever, whatever has happened in your life. But there are areas as men that the enemy will attack again and again and again and again because he's trying to shame and bring guilt to a man. He's trying to attack those three fundamental questions we asked earlier on. You know, who am I? What am I made of? And what am I destined for? The enemy will attack that by, by, by poking at the same thing over and over again. You'll be tempted by the same temptations. But I believe God is calling you to overcome. You know, I think we can remain strong if we remain close to Jesus. If we know how the enemy works, if we know the enemy has schemes and we, we know the enemy is going to come back around the same area and just keep trying to attack, we've got to be fortified in those areas. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians, Paul speaking, he said, but he said to me, speaking of God, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I believe in our weakness, we are made strong. And if we can be honest about what our weak areas are, where we're weak, where the enemy often comes, circles around and gets us again, if we can begin to be honest about those things, I think God can begin to bring strength and protection in our openness and in our truth over our weaknesses. So I want to end with a question here. As we get to the end of this episode, the question is this, how then can we be strong in life? You know, looking at this book, looking at masculinity, looking at the weak areas with men, how, do you, how, do you, how can you stay strong? I think the first thing is staying close to God. I think if we can just keep staying close to Jesus, I hope you have an active uh, relationship with Jesus where you worship him, where you pray, where you're in the word. I know a lot of guys struggle with being in the Bible and, and reading the Bible consistently, but here's how you do that. I mean, it's very basic. This is sort of the simplest I can break it down. You got to have a time and you got to have a place. If you can have a time and a place every single day where you say, I will spend time with the Lord, I think it'll happen. I think you might have to schedule it in. Put it in your schedule and say, every day at this time, when I am in this place, I'm going to pray. I'm going to speak to the Lord. I think you have to make it a priority and I think you can start today. You know, a lot of times we can desire, I just want to be close to God. I just want more revelation. Well, it starts with just reading a verse. It starts with just spending a moment with God. And if you can do it every day consistently over time, God will build a real and a strong relationship with you. And I think that's the most powerful thing you can have in your life that will bring strength to you is an active, awesome, real relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the second one, I think, how do you find strength in your life? How, do you, how can you be stronger in life as a man? I think is investing in good friendships. I think men need friends. I know for a lot of guys, this is a tough area. And I know even at Remnant, we, we've talked about this in our tribes before about finding friends and having friends. And a lot of men struggle with this, especially as you get older, but good friendships are investments. Uh, it's an investment. The same way you'd invest into a stock, you've got to invest into good friendships. And, and I would just say this, uh, if you want to find good friends, become a good friend befriend somebody. That's why I love the remnant events that we do because we spend so much time hanging out, just catching up, meeting other people. I hope you come to these events and you get connected to some other men and you form some some David and Jonathan type relationships. I know for me, all of my closest friends are found right in the house of God, right in the church. I think those are where lifelong real friendships can be found. The Bible says even in Ecclesiastes, uh, two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. 
I hope you have some friends in your life who lift you up, who when you're feeling a little bit weak, when you're going through a time where things are difficult, when there's challenge, when you feel like, hey, the enemy came back, he's attacking me in this area again. You need somebody to lean into. You need somebody that's strong that can come up and, and stand with you shoulder to shoulder to keep you strong in life. And so I hope that you have those two things. I think those are two keys to finding more strength in your life, being close to God and investing in good friendships. But this has been fun, just kind of breaking this book down a little bit, talking about some of the chapters, some of the concepts in here. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you to get a copy of it, Wild at Heart uh, by John Elridge. Phenomenal book, Remnant. Grab a copy of it and we'll keep doing these book breakdowns. I want to keep uh, keep it up. We're right now going to be reading in the book of Proverbs uh, as Remnant. And so we're going to be reading the Bible together, 30 days to read the book of Proverbs. And our next event's coming up soon, December 5th, Remnant Night, to see all of our events. And to see everything about Remnant, go to remnantman.com. It's all on there. Get updated. And if you haven't yet, I'd ask you to subscribe to Remnant. Go to remnantman.com forward slash subscribe. On there, you can put in your email and you'll get monthly updates from me on everything happening at Remnant. This has been the Remnant Book Breakdown, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. God bless the Remnant.